Reader's Digest presents Hollywood 360 with your host, Carl Amari. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr. And suits so fine, they made Sinatra look like a hobo. Is this your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? Really? It's really awful. But I have a lot of things that are on order. You know, credit trouble. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and listen to the radio. You always listen to the radio. It's different. Our lives are ruined already. The Whistler. Staples self-destruct in five seconds. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents all things entertainment, including movie reviews, celebrity interviews, classic radio shows, trivia contests, and showbiz news. This hour on Hollywood 360 will rocket off into the future for a terrific sci-fi episode of X-1. But first, national movie critic Sarah Adamson is here to review two films that recently released, Joy... And a very Murray Christmas. Hey, Sarah, how are you? I'm doing great, Carl. How are you? Excellent. Let's talk about joy. I was valedictorian in high school. I got into a fancy college. I stayed here because my parents are getting divorced. No! You know what you are, Terry? You're like a gas leak. We don't see you, we don't smell you, but you're silently killing us all. Maybe your dreams are all hope for now. That's a nice way of putting it. What's this film all about? You know, this is a comedy drama. It's based on the true story of Joy Mangano. She invented the Miracle Mop. Ah, the Miracle Mop. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's right in PG-13. It's by 20th Century <laughs> She Fox. has an island somewhere. Yeah, she does. <laughs> you know, the film begins in black and white, and we see Joy as a little girl. Right. And her grandmother, played by Diane Ladd, tells her she's going to grow up and do great things. Yeah. Jennifer Lawrence. They're going to clean up the world. Yeah. <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence is Joy, and Robert De Niro is her father. Right, and and Bradley Cooper is in it as well. Oh yes, and this these three uh, actors like being in movies together. They do, don't they? They do with David O. Russell at the yeah. helm. Yeah, right. Yes, right, he wrote right. the script as well. Yeah, so it's all about her rise to becoming this this matriarch of this uh, powerful family business dynasty, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Amidst her father living with her and her ex-husband lives in the right. basement. Lots of crazy, kooky stuff happening. Lots of crazy, kooky stuff. All right, another <laughs> clip from Joy. I believe the ordinary meets the extraordinary every single day. I have real ambitions and real ideas. We're making an invention, and it's very serious. Joy's never run a business in her entire life. It's my fault. I gave her the confidence to think she was more than just an unemployed housewife. So what did you think of the film? Oh, I'm all in. Four stars out of four. Four stars. Yeah, Jennifer wow. Lawrence mops up. It brought up. you a lot of joy. <laughs> but I don't bump. Yep. She mops up on this one. Yes, I'll tell you, yeah. she is fantastic. She's a great actress. Well, she, she really is. Yeah, she and David O. Russell, they can't miss. Yeah. It's another hit, just like American Hustle mm-hmm. and Silver Linings Playbook. Right. You know, in this film, so great to see because it does show you that dreams really do come true. Mm-hmm. And it did in this case with hard work, perseverance. It's funny. It's heartwarming. It is full of great life lessons. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just a great film, and it speaks to that Woody Allen, you know, quote, 90% of success in life is just showing up. Yeah. Well, Joy just kept showing up. Yeah, she did. She was, uh, she persevered, and she became uh, at the top of her of, of her game in the mop world. In the mop, yes. <laughs> she cleaned up. <laughs> All right, let's talk now about a very Murray Christmas. 
What are you doing up here? Come on, let's do the show. The airports are closed. The trains are closed. The buses and bridges and tunnels are not working. The entire city of New York is shut down. Is it Clooney? Is it Clooney? Is it Clooney? Is George on the phone? Please, God, let it be Clooney. What's this film all about? Well, it's a musical comedy that can be streamed on Netflix. It's written and directed by Sofia Coppola, along with Murray has a little bit of writing credit here. You know, Carl, I know you were disappointed with Bill Murray's, you know, Rock the Casbah. Yeah. So when I saw this, I thought, hmm, I'm going to check this out. Because, you know, I love Bill Murray. I, I mean, he's do. like my favorite, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I checked this out for you and all our listeners. And I'm here to tell you, this is pretty darn cool. Right. Well, she's a great director, Sophia Coppola. She's yes. terrific. Yeah. And uh, this is an interesting concept, right? It is. It's about an hour long, and it shows Murray with different stars and musicians as he sings Christmas carols. Right. But he's worried because he thinks nobody's going to show up to his TV special, yeah. right? Because yeah. there's a bad snowstorm. Well, there is, yes. And, and this has, is chock full of actors. You have George Clooney in this, Chris Rock, Amy Poehler. You have Paul Schaefer, you have Michael Sarah. So there's uh, there's just like tons and tons of actors in this. They're jam-packed in yes, an hour. Yes, and the setting is the famous Carlisle Hotel right. in New York City, which I love that hotel. It's yeah. fantastic. And so you just really just get to see him singing and doing his thing, and George Clooney sings, uh, Maya <laughs> Rudolph, Miley Cyrus. Yeah, Miley Cyrus as is well, in this. just to name a few. Yep, another clip from A Very Murray Christmas. Tonight will go down as the greatest night in history. Our cheeks are nice and rosy and comfy cozy are we. Come on, it's lovely weather for This sad excuse for a Christmas special. Starting to seem to me more like a Christmas, as in what a mess. So what did you think of this film? I'm in on this. Three and a half stars. Really wow, three and a half stars. Oh, sure. Oh. I mean, this is the perfect film to get you in the Christmas spirit. It's funny. It's lighthearted. It's entertaining. You know, pretty soon you're going to be humming along. Right, right. I kind of was, especially when George was singing. And, you know, Bill Murray <laughs> can do it all. I mean, this guy is a great actor. He's shown that, that he can just do straight drama. Yes. He can do comedy. He sings. He dances in this. Yeah. I mean, so he's just, uh, he's he's really a Hollywood movie star. I love, I love Bill Murray. Oh, I agree. You know, this is just a pick-me-up for these stressful holidays. You know, crack out the eggnog, light mm-hmm. the fireplace, sit back, relax, listen to Bill, Bill Murray sing to you. Right. What's better than that, Carl? All right, so three and a half stars. Yeah, three and yeah, a half stars. Yeah, so uh, that's a, this is available on Netflix. Yes. So if you don't have Netflix... You're kind of out of luck. Yeah. So may, maybe get some, uh, get, you know, spend a few bucks. Yeah, get I Netflix. think you can just for this. All one. right. A very Murray Christmas, three and a half stars and four big stars for Joy starring Jennifer Lawrence. You heard it here on Hollywood 360. Uh, thanks to Sarah Adamson. But check out all of her reviews, not just the one she does here at her website, which is sarahsbackstagepass.com. Sarah, great having you on the show. Thank you, Carl. It's always my pleasure. All right, Mike, I uh, I don't know. I'm wrong. Hey, uh, you know, I was wrong once in 1977. Hit the buzzer. And uh, buzzer. hang on a second. Hang on a second. So I am wrong. I, no. Uh, wait, wrong one. One second. I got a lot of, bu- I got I a lot of the, buttons over here. I got here. the bell. All right, so earlier in the show, I said that uh, Victor Buono yes. played the most times as a villain on Batman, and I'm wrong. I'm way wrong. Yeah, he did 10 episodes from 1966 10. through 68. But the Joker, Cesar Romero. Romero, did 22 episodes? He did 22, and I thought it was the Penguin, and he did 21 episodes. Wow. And then Julie Newmar did 13 as Catwoman. 
Okay. And then um, Frank Gorshin did 10 as the Riddler and John Aston. Did how many? Did three? Did two. Two, okay. He's the father of so, your so, good friend, so the Sean villain, Yeah, so the villain that was seen the most on Batman, how did he keep getting out of jail so many times that he just <laughs> kept breaking out? Was the Joker, Cesar Romero. You know, we were talking about this earlier. It's, I don't it's, think Warden Crichton did a very good job. I would have yeah, canned he his did. rear end. You know, here's here's the really the amazing thing. You see television today, right? Yep. Television today is really making an amazing comeback. You're seeing all kinds of movie stars appearing on television. Like you have Matthew McConaughey, who's uh, you know, who's not doing television now. You see right. a lot of big, big movie stars. Not big like Raymond Burr. Well, no, not big like Raymond Burr. But you see, like, um, right. for instance, Vince, Vince Vaughn is doing television. You have uh, all you know these big series now on Netflix and all mm-hmm. these kind of places, and so many movie stars are being drawn to television because television is really very epic now. You know, it's pretty cool. I mean, look at Billy Bob Thornton last year on Fargo, right? Mm-hmm. And which he which he won which he won an Emmy for. Um but I think Batman is probably the very first television series that lured major, major movie stars to the small screen. Don't you think? Like Van Johnson. Cesar Romero, Tallulah Bankhead, Shelley Winters, uh, Cliff Robertson, Burgess Meredith, right? Vincent Price. Vincent Price. done all those uh, I mean, Alfred Hitchcock think movies. Of, think about all of these major, major movie stars that appeared on the small screen. And I don't think they that these movie stars did very uh, did television hardly at all, right? Well, let me ask you the question. You're the expert on this. Um when when did TV first come on the air? Okay, what well, year? it was in the 1940s, so it was late 1940s. But it didn't really pick up until no. until the 50s. mid-50s, late 50s. Right. right, so so let's just call it popular television shows. And, and you know, of course, Batman was getting canned. Like They're like, how is this campy show going to be successful? Right. And and people dug it. They they were watching it two nights in a row. I mean, TV shows. Well, there was, a, there was a night in between. It was Tuesday and Thursday. But they, they would do that. Nowadays, yeah. you've got some of these. Uh, I mean, that was never shows. done before. No. I mean, that was really that was, that was a first. Batman really broke a lot of barriers. Yeah, they did, and and they set a lot. Of, they set a lot too, because you know, with uh, with this uh, the the uh, the whole idea of of drawing these huge name movie stars to TV. I don't think it was ever done before Batman, and I don't think it was done since uh, Batman until recently. Right. The last, you know, five, six years. I mean, some some shows like uh, Welcome Back, Cotter got, um, you know, John Travolta's career but he, started. Yeah, they, it started him, started, but it wasn't yeah. like he was a big movie star and he came to the series. Right. Which you're seeing now. I mean, you're seeing major movie stars today uh, gravitating to TV and, 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 and doing television and, you know, being on these TV shows when, when they didn't, you know, they would never do that. You would think, like... You would never think Billy Bob Thornton would appear in a in a television series. A huge Probably name not. Like I mean, and then the other thing too, Carl, is you remember all the cameo appearances. I mean, we've been going through the list during the break and and looking at some of the people that appeared on the show. And um, yeah, for instance, huge. Carl Reiner or uh, Rob Reiner um, played an extra that was uncredited on the show. Right. As did Terry Garr. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, huge name Jerry Lewis, stuff like that. Okay, we got to take a break. Then we'll come back. We're going to play X-1. We'll still talk about Batman, Gilligan's Island, some other trivia here with 
uh, Mike Stark, who is pinch hitting for Lisa Wolf, who's on vacation this week. Lisa's slacking. She's a slacker. She's out in Florida and sitting in the sun. I'd and, like to be slacking you in know, the sun and uh, drinking a pina colada and all that. All right, let's, uh, let's take a break. Then it's more here on Hollywood 360. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Brought to you by Reader's Digest. X-1 was a terrific half-hour sci-fi series broadcast from 1955 to 1958 on NBC. It was a revival of NBC's Dimension X, which aired in 50 to 51. And it had all the great writers uh, lending their pen to the show. Isaac Asimov, Ray Bradbury, Philip K. Dick, Robert A. Heinlein, Frederick Pohl, among others. And uh, it was just a terrific show with great actors in it. We have an episode for you now from March 21st, 1956. It's called A Thousand Dollars a Plate. It stars the great Bob Hastings, who we were talking about earlier. Mike, Bob Hastings was... On Batman. He was a henchman on one of the shows. There were a lot of henchmen on Batman. Yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, here you'll hear Bob Hastings along with Carl Swenson, Mandel Kramer, Ralph Bell. Here is a uh, terrific episode now of X-1. Stay tuned for X-1. Countdown for blast off. X-5, 4, 3, 2, X-1... Fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, presents... X minus one... Tonight's story, A Thousand Dollars a Plate, by Jack McKenty. Ferry ship from Dima Space Station carrying cargo and passengers from Earth now arriving in Blasting Pit 6. Radiation clearance and quarantine officers report to passenger conveyor. Mars Airways to New Chicago, Port Kelly, Marsport, Marsport Park, New Amityville, and Nova Massapequa. Take off in 15 minutes. All aboard. Excuse me, sir. Uh, could you help me? Sure, buddy. What'll it be? Cards? Dice? A little shot of distilled hackerberry? Uh, no, I just wondered if you could direct me. Brother, to... you came to the right man. I can direct you anywhere you want to go. That's what I'm here for. You just get off the ferry? Yes, I uh, came on the uh, Phobos Queen. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can spot him in my business. All right, what'll it be now? Well, I uh, want to know how I can get to the observatory. The what? The Mars Observatory. You know, the Astronomical Research Center. What do you want to go there for? I work there. Or at least I will. No kidding. Mm -hmm. You're one of them double dome stargazers, huh? Yes. Uh, I'm an astronomer. Yeah. I heard there was a lot of you guys out there under glass, but uh, I don't get out of town much. I got to keep my hand in, you know. Uh, are you sure you wouldn't like a little flutter before you settle down in your rut? No, no. I never play cards. Occasionally a little chess. Uh-huh. 
I don't know if they got any chess in any of the casinos, but if you want, I could arrange it. You know, play against the house, five bucks a piece for the kitty and a C-note for checkmate. Uh, no, uh, thank you. Uh, can you uh, direct me to the observatory? Well, you'll have to get a sand hack. None of the regular buses go by there. They just hit the casinos on a strip. Hey, I'll tell you what, the next ferry won't clear for uh, another half hour. I'll walk you over to the hack stand. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you, Mr... Just uh, uh, call me Pusher. It's on account of my occupation, you know. Oh, I see. I'm uh, Enright C. Bensinger, Dr. Bensinger. Well, it's a pleasure, Doc. Right this way. Well, this isn't exactly what I expected. Your first trip to Mars, huh? Yes, it is. Well, you'll get used to it. Out this way. Uh, adjust your gills. Gills? Sure. But what do you think you're going to breathe outside that door? There isn't enough oxygen on Mars to keep a mouse alive. They give you a standard issue when you got off the ferry. It's in that bag. Oh. Yes, I'm afraid I was reading when they explained it. The uh, quarterly journal from the Harvard Observatory, you know. Hmm? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I never miss a copy. Now, look, you, you put the nose clip in, see, and crack the valve. This way it compresses enough air to keep you going. Okay? All right, let's go. Hmm. Cold. Sure, it's cold. Sand hacks are right up the street there. Beautiful. Beautiful. All the colors in the sky. I am surprised, though, in an atmosphere this thin, the sunset shouldn't be as spectacular. <laughs> that ain't the sunset, Chief. That's the new sign on top of the Canal Casino. Right there behind you, see? Hmm? Fun. 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 Yeah, but if you want a square shake with the dice, you go to Harry Harvey's place, the Red Sands Hotel. I suppose the seeing is excellent. You're telling me. You know, he's got a line of girls like you never see nowhere else. Oh, I'm afraid I meant astronomical seeing. The telescopes, you know. Hey, you got an idea there. <laughs> telescopes. What's that? Nothing. Fireworks. It's a Marzi Gras. So what? Marzi Gras. You know, big party all over town. Parades, costumes, liquor, fireworks, gambling. You know, big celebration. Well, what's the occasion? An eclipse of the two moons. Oh, but that occurs very frequently. Oh, sure. You'd be surprised how much a Marzi Gras ups the take on the strip. Well, here are the sand hacks. And look, don't let them hackies charge you more than 15 bucks for the trip. Just tell them you know me. Just tell them Pusher sent you. Gentlemen, I want you all to meet Dr. Benzinger, our new colleague. These are Drs. Fitz, Spiegel, Ortney, and Klein. I, um, I'm sorry to introduce you to our team at such a critical moment, but our situation is rather desperate. Well, I'm afraid I don't understand. Spiegel, show Dr. Benzinger your plate. Here, just look at this. Just look. It took me eight weeks working with the computer to plot this plate, and look. Look! Well, it seems fogged. These streaks, I don't believe I've ever seen them uh, on an astronomical photograph before. What are they? Skyrockets, that's what they are. Skyrockets. Morton, I tell you that they fired them in our direction on purpose. All right, all right. Calm down, Spiegel. Calm down. Do you realize that it will be 12 years before this particular conjunction can be photographed again? Morton, you've got to do something. Uh, couldn't you write a little note to the Chamber of Commerce and ask them to eliminate the fireworks? We've written a note every time a small boy lets off a Roman candle, and it was no use. I tell you, they fire them this way on purpose. I'm afraid that's true. The other directions around town are either oil refineries or homes of the casino owners. I don't suppose there's any chance of moving the observatory then out into the desert. My dear Dr. Benziger, we'd have to bring in crews to tear it down, other crews to move it and set it up, not to mention breakage and replacement, which would involve more freight from Earth at $7.97 per pound, dead weight. As it is, the immense costs add up to a staggering total. 
Do you know what a single photographic plate costs us, counting overhead? One thousand dollars. Well, then what is the answer? Another letter to the town council, I suppose. Let me write it this time, Dr. Morton. My grandmother used to have several rather picturesque phrases, which I believe I could translate. No, 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 Spiegel. Uh, dignity, dignity, remember? We are an adjunct of Harvard University. <clears throat> Dr. Spiegel, I shall ask you and Dr. Benzinger to accompany me in person to the town council. Surely they cannot turn down a rational request in the interest of science. Well, gentlemen, the town council appreciates the problem. Yes, I felt certain it would. Naturally, you're aware of the importance of astronomical research, Mr. Harvey. Well, I can see your point, Doc. You sit out there in your little glass hut, pointing your brownie camera up at the stars, snapping away. But you've got to look at our point of view. Uh, oh? Now you take my place. Harvey's Red Sands. i got a heavy investment. Fourteen crap tables, a half a dozen roulette wheels, and the rest of the overhead. I've got to keep them wheels running. It's the Mars Gras that drags the suckers in. But really, Mr. Harvey, we were just asking you to curtail the pyrotechnic display. Now, wait just a minute. I'm as clean living as the next guy. Oh, Dr. Benzinger means the fireworks. Oh. Well, I'd like to help you out, boys, but I look at it this way. Those stars you're looking at are going to be up there for a couple of thousand years. But a sucker is different. you got to grab him while he's still healthy. But in the interest of science, surely the town council can't agree with you. Doc, the town council's made up of Joe Rocco, Pete Carney, Alex the Armenian, and me. We own the four biggest houses in town. So go ahead, fellas. Take all them snapshots you want to. If you happen to lower your telescope, get a couple of good ones through a window of the Grand Canal Hotel. I'll take a couple of 8 by 10 enlargements. <laughs> I'll see you around, Doc. <laughs> Well, I'm afraid the town council was no help. They just remain insensible to reason. Well, I'm afraid the only thing those gentlemen understand is money. My dear Dr. Benzinger, the smallest bet allowed in Mr. Harvey's establishment is approximately the same as your monthly salary. Oh. Dr. Morton, suppose the gambling operators were suddenly to lose a great deal of money. They never do. Of course, with the ordinary layman playing against them. But suppose the best scientific brains were to concentrate on a simple matter like the probabilities of a given roulette wheel or the combinations and permutations applicable to a game of poker. We could put the main computer on it. Doctor, are you seriously suggesting... Well, I think he's got a point. If we could give those casinos a shellacking, they might stop the fireworks just to get rid of us. <laughs> All right, let's take a break here on X-1 with $1,000 a plate from March 21st, 1956, starring Bob Hastings. And when we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit about what, Gilligan's Island trivia, Mike? I think I think Gilligan's Island would be good. We could even talk about who was on both Gilligan's Island and Batman, like Vito Scotti, who played the Japanese uh, yeah, sailor. Nobody's going to know that. <laughs> the only person well, that would know that is probably... Uh, Carl Amari. No, I wouldn't even know Vince that. Vince Amari. Maybe, grumpy, grumpy. Maybe, maybe Adam West would know that. All right. Much more coming your way here. We'll get back to X-1, and we have some more trivia here on the Hollywood 360 Radio Network. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari, brought to you by Reader's Digest. All right, before we get into the conclusion to X-1, you got some trivia, Mike? I got a little Gilligan's Island trivia there, Carl. All right, little Gilligan's Island. All right, what do you got? Well, first of all, we just discussed this, but uh, the show ran from 1964 to 1967. So 64 to 67, it started even before Batman. It did. And black they, and white. Did they ever do any color? I'm trying to think. Did think, they do any color? I think color? the first year was black and white, and then it went to color. Oh, okay. Remember, at the beginning yeah, they of did the some show, cover, right. they did some color, yeah. They said um, they introduced the characters, and then um, Marianne and the professor were the rest. Right. Remember? And the rest. And then but then... Professor uh, Ren, Marianne. Yeah, then they, uh, yeah, they put them on, I think, in the second season. Correct. Hmm. Correct, Boy Blunder. Correct, Boy Blunder. And there are a grand total of 98 episodes between 64 and 67. Okay. And then they did So they did like 30-something episodes a year, something like that? Apparently. And then they had, um, then they had uh, one show in 1992, which some of the people came back for, Jonas Grumby. Yeah. Skipper and Gilligan Skipper, and yeah. Thurston Howell. But uh, Ginger did not come back. No. She didn't like doing the show or something. She wanted... Like that. She was holding out for more money. It was she. It was like that didn't work out year. for. No, it didn't. No, we have had the pleasure of having uh, Marianne on the show. Yeah, Marianne yeah. was great. She's, that was that was the big question. Everybody awesome. was like Ginger or Marianne. Yeah, I, I was always a Marianne. I was guy. always a Mrs. Howell. Um, <laughs> you went after the money, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Absolutely. That's, that's funny. Yeah, in the professor, uh, professor. I but Dawn talking. Wells has been on this show, and she's just, uh, she's awesome. We love Dawn Wells. Yeah, you said that she was. Uh, she was so sweet. She was fantastic. Yeah. And we'll get into some of these uh, these episodes with some of these guys. Uh, there was a lot of guest stars on on Gilligan Island. Too. I'm going to give you Island. one that you don't know that I just see right now in front of me. Yeah. Remember the parrot that talked on Gilligan? Mm, there was a parrot, a talking okay. parrot. All right. Mel Blank was the voice. Oh, was he? <laughs> the man of a thousand voices. Mel Blank played Russell the voice. Russell Thor- uh, Thorson, or what was his name? Russell Russ, uh, Russell Johnson. Russell Johnson. Sorry, Russell Johnson. I had the Roy. pleasure of uh, being on the air with him one time on on WGN Radio, Eddie Schwartz's radio show. Oh, really? Yeah, he and I, uh, Russell Johnson. And I were the guests one night with Eddie Schwartz all night long. And all we talked about was Gilligan's Island and also the Twilight Zone, because Russell had been on a couple of those. I remember him on a couple of Twilight Zone episodes. Yeah, and you know, and he was a he was like uh, decorated with many, many medals in the war. Was he? Russell Johnson. He was a... Uh, Desert a, Storm? No, I mean, he was, but he was in a lot of, uh, he, he was, he had won like the Purple Heart. I mean, he this guy was, war, he was a decorated, too, yeah. yeah, decorated war hero. Um, people don't know that. And he didn't, and he was a very uh, modest guy, didn't talk about it much, but he was. A lot of the World War II veterans didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, nowadays, yeah. everyone wants to talk about what they're doing, but that truly was the greatest generation. And I read the book by Tom Brokaw, but it yeah. really was uh, just an honorable group of guys, and they, they didn't want to talk i mean right. i always wanted to hear the stories and these guys didn't want to tell the stories yeah when i was a yeah. kid you just like tell me about uh, well, my dad my dad was uh was uh you know in the army right. and he did a lot of he was a paratrooper and he, he you know he never bragged about what he did but he did a lot of great things and and um you're right the 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 uh, men who served men and women who served in the 
in World War II. They're just modest about it. But uh, oh, oh, you know, what was J- we Jimmy do? Jimmy Stewart was a pilot. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You got a good Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> well, I can't do it right now because we got to get back to X minus one. This is going back to March twenty first, nineteen fifty six. A thousand dollars a plate, starring Bob Hastings. Here's part two, the conclusion of X minus one. Now, let me get this straight, Doc. All you eggheads up there made up a kitty to get into a crap game? Well, uh, that's right. Uh, I thought you might direct me to the largest establishment, uh, Mr. Harvey's place, I believe. Uh, now, look, Doc, uh, come over here. Mm-hmm. Now, over here in the corner. Now, look, I'm a pusher, see? My job is to take these tourists by the lapel and shove them in front of a dice table quick before they spend any of their letters foolishly on food and lodging. But these rubes, they come here expecting to get took. They don't miss it, you understand? It's all part of a good time. But you guys out there running your Harvard peekaboo racket, you're different. Now, what do you want to get mixed up in this for? You take your peanuts home and shove it in a piggy bank. Save up and buy yourself a new telescope or something. I appreciate your solicitude, Mr. Pusher, uh, but I'm quite determined. Uh, which way is Mr. Harvey's place? Well... If you've made up your mind, the bus leaves from right over there in about 15 minutes. Uh, get a round-trip ticket, because Mr. Harvey don't want no suckers stuck without they got car fare away from his place. I shouldn't worry about that. Frankly, I expect to leave Mr. Harvey flat broke. I'll see you just before dawn. I don't understand it. I just don't understand it. But what happened? Luckily, a certain Mr. Pusher was generous enough to lend me $15 uh, for a sand hack. Otherwise, I would have had to walk. Well, that was rather decent of him. Well, not exactly. He said he gets a percentage when he pulls in a ripe chump. You mean it's all gone? Every dollar. I just can't understand it. I kept careful notes. I followed the formula that was worked out by the computer... I calculated the odds by slide rule, carrying them to the fourth and fifth decimal place. I just can't understand it. Mr. Pusher said that I had a frigid digit. A what? A cold finger. I gather that's the opposite of a hot hand. But according to the game's theory as outlined in the last International Congress of Theoretical Mathematics... Unfortunately, at the last Mathematical Congress, they weren't trying to make a four the hard way. There they go again, skyrockets. I was hoping to get at least three plates in before they started. And the crushing blow occurred when Mr. Pusher offered to sell me my horoscope. No. Yes. He said anyone was a fool to get into a dice game if the stars weren't right. Now there's an example of what we're up against. Medieval superstition existing side by side with hydrazine rockets and nuclear space drive. Shocking! I'm not so sure. Might be a good idea. Dr. Morton sent for the staff psychiatrist. Flensinger has scratched his reflector. No, no, gentlemen. Pusher was right. Every man who's going to gamble should have a horoscope. It's very important to know what the stars say. What are you talking about? And where on Mars is the place best equipped to tell you what the stars say? Oh, no. Dr. Benzinger. Gentlemen, I tell you, it may be a stroke of genius. Hello? Is this the advertising office? Uh, This is Dr. Bensinger. I should like to place an ad. No. No, there will be no pretty girl. Just this. Free, free. For the first time ever, your horoscope scientifically cast by the staff of the famous Mars Observatory. 
Learn your luck, your future. Write or call Mars Observatory. No charge, no obligation. Yes, thank you. I'd like to run that every day until further notice. Porsche. Yeah, Mr. Harvey. Did you do like I said? Yes, sir. I went out to the observatory just like you told me. You know, I had to share the sand hack with five other guys. I understand the bus company's putting a rod out there. A big crowd, huh? Sure, Mr. Harvey. You know, them horoscopes are given there. The only thing on Mars that don't cost the tourists any money. All right, all right. What happened? Well, when I got out there, it was this Doc Bensinger. You see, all dressed up in a dunce cap with stars on it or something, in a big robe. They showed us all around the place. You never saw telescopes as big as that. All right, all right. Skip the travel on. All right. Well, finally, they took my name and my birth date, my collar size, and they run it through this computer. You should have seen that thing. Lights and bells. I'm telling you, it looked like the biggest pinball machine you ever saw. I kept waiting for it to tilt. The horoscopes. The horoscopes. Yeah, well, they give it to me finally. I mean, the first couple of pages is the ordinary bourgeois about the sun and the moon and the stars. But on the fourth page, that's the kicker. What'd it say? Well, it said that I'd be real lucky at most of the gambling places, but I'd lose my shirt at... Uh, boss, you're not going to like this. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I'd lose my shirt if I played at Harry Harvey's place. Uh-huh. Pretty shrewd. You know, for a bunch of scientists, they're pretty smart. <laughs> that isn't going to work. Who in his right mind is going to pay attention to a lot of hooey like that? Sure, Mr. Harvey. Uh, can I go now? What's your hurry? Well, I'm going over to Purple Flamingo to play a little poker. I mean, after all, they say I'll be lucky any place but here. I mean, <laughs> you know, you can't argue with science. Gentlemen, I think we're on our way. I checked Mr. Harvey's establishment. You could shoot an elk in the gambling room. Empty, eh? There was nobody playing but an elderly masochist who likes to lose. Uh, Dr. Morton, we have a visitor. Bensinger, I have asked you please to take off that confounded astrologer's hat when you come into my office. It, it embarrasses me. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, but, Doctor, allow me to present Mr. Harry Harvey. Hiya. How's business, Mr. Harvey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, gentlemen, let's put our cards on the table. You put a hole in my pocket... Like I haven't had since I once ran into an honest police lieutenant in Cincinnati. I presume you've come about our horoscopes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's shoot or get off the foul line. How much? I beg your pardon? How much will it take to lay off? Mr. Harvey, just a promise. What? You're on the town council, Mr. Harvey. Now, the next time the question of tourist entertainment is discussed, we want you to vote against any fireworks display. Well, sure, that's no problem, but... Look, I'm only one vote. Oh, don't worry, Mr. Harvey. Every one of the casino owners on the council will have his turn to be, uh, mentioned in the stars. Yeah? <laughs> you gonna knock us off one by one like a flight of ducks? <laughs> well, that's the general idea. <laughs> I gotta hand it to you. I gotta take off my hat to you. Mr. Harvey, we, we, we're desperate. We cannot afford to let valuable and irreplaceable photographic plates be spoiled by fireworks. Okay, you win. But listen, here's five bells. Five hundred dollars? But we couldn't take it, Mr. Harvey. I've already explained. It's not for me. I want you to take a full-page ad and do the purple flamingo in your next horoscope. I'd like to see Joe Rocco's face when he gets a load of it. <laughs> All right, Mr. Harvey. We'd be glad to take him next. Oh, uh, and uh, one more thing before I go. Can I look through the telescope? I never looked through one before. <laughs>
Well, that's the last of them. The Red Sands, Frank Land's Paradise, the Martian Gardens, the Two Moons Club. And the Purple Flamingo. Dr. Morton, we've got them all. There will be a meeting of the town council a week from now, and after that, no more fireworks. All those beautiful stars and nebulae and not a misbegotten skyrocket to stand between us. Oh, it's beautiful. Gentlemen, I have some news for you. You have? I am in receipt of an interplanetary radiogram from our parent organization, the Harvard Observatory. Are they going to send the new mass spectroscope? Please, please. Morton, Earth newspapers carrying accounts of horoscopes published by your organization. Very unscientific. Harvard Board of Overseers, aghast. Must stop at once. Find other solution. Signed, L.K. Bell, director. Well, I thought Thursday was the regular day for personal message delivery. It is. Oh, Mr. Harvey. I asked Mr. Harvey to wait in the washroom. He brought the message down. Oh, sure. All of us have contacts in the radio office. We can get a hold of messages a couple of days before they clear. Did you come down to gloat over our misfortune, Mr. Harvey? No, no, no. You got my promise to help you boys, and I'll stick by you. But the rest of them, well, it's tough, fellas, but business is business. I'm afraid the fireworks will go on as usual. Thank you, Mr. Harvey. Look. What would happen if you brought all the boys out here, showed them around, and then you could offer the name a star after them or something? I'd sure like to be able to point in the sky and say, that's Harvey's star. Well, uh, Mr. Harvey, I'm afraid any stars worth looking at with the naked eye already have names. Besides, Harvard Observatory wouldn't stand for this idea either. It would make as much sense to them as you naming a poker chip after me. But, Dr. Morton, we've got to think of something. We tried rigging up a photoelectric cell. It closes the shutter when a rocket goes up, but it cuts the exposure time too much. But if we can't get these plates, we may not be able to duplicate them for years. Why, right now, they're preparing the first trip to a newly discovered planet. And the work of the observatory is necessary to ensure the success of that trip. Now, surely your colleagues will realize that, Mr. Harvey. The future of the human race is at stake. Doc, the only race those jokers are interested in takes place at Tropical Park. Look out there. They're starting the fireworks. All of them heading this way again. Ah, no, no. It's nothing personal. It's just that if we point them any other way, they're likely to splash people. Or maybe set something on fire. You mean, if the rockets misfired and get the tourists all wet, there would be trouble? Oh, sure. You couldn't have that. A guy with wet pants ain't gonna stand around no crap table for hours. Mr. Harvey, do you really want to help us? Well, sure, I promised, didn't I? Uh, Dr. Spiegel, do you think the research library would have any material on pyrotechnics? Bensinger, what do you have in mind? Well, Dr. Morton, I was thinking of fighting fire with fireworks. Uh, careful with that match, Harvey. Oh, don't worry. With the oxygen around here, you need a blowtorch to light a cigarette. Have you got the rockets ready, Dr. Bensinger? Well, here they are in the launching racks. I've got all my instruments, compass, a clinometer, an azimuthal radioscope, and a blowtorch. Well, what are we waiting for? Spiegel. He's bringing the calculated trajectories from the computer. Say, I don't know if I like this. What if they miss? Or they go off too soon or something? Oh, nonsense, Mr. Harvey. You forget. We're scientists. Here are the figures, Bensinger. We double-checked them on the master computer. All right, then. Let's go. They'll uh, be starting the official fireworks any minute. Azimuth 360.3570. Check. Elevation 49.3740. Check. 
That's corrected for wind, velocity, temperature change, and magnetic eddy currents. Are you sure you guys know what you're doing with them skyrockets? Don't worry, Mr. Harvey. They're going to explode in the Grand Canal and get everybody in the Canal Casino all wet. You shouldn't object. After all, it's your competition. Coming up to zero hour, Bensinger. Light the torch. Five seconds. Four. Three. Two. One. Fire. There they go. Oh, interesting effect. Purple color. Oh, do you like it? Yes. That was my idea. Radioactive fluorides. They're up over the town now. Hey, hey, one of them's beginning to wobble. Oh, I can't understand that. The computer was absolutely certain. It's that... going over the south of town. Well, the other one's tracking correctly on the radar. It'll hit the canal square. Yeah, but look, the purple one. There it goes. It hit. Looks like it's starting a fire. Hey, must have hit somebody's house. Hey, you can see it now. It's a house burning. Oh, dear, dear. There must have been a weak tube in the computer. Yeah. Some guy's going to be real sore. I can see it real clear with the glasses now. That house on top of the hill there by the Geeko bush. Boy, it's burning like... Mr. Harvey, what's the matter? That's my house! Dr. Benzinger, I've called you in to read a letter that I've written to Mr. Harvey. Oh, do you know his address? I believe he's staying at his gambling establishment. His house was a total loss. Yes, well, uh, yes. <clears throat> this has been a very difficult letter for me to write. I, uh, I... I believe the letter is academic, uh, Dr. Morton. Mr. Harvey is outside. Oh, he is? With two very large gentlemen with bulging pockets. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. I don't know what to say. Uh, well, well, Mr. Harvey, what a surprise. You two apes wait outside. Now, Dr. Morton, about those fireworks. I want you to know I believe in direct action. I don't like fiddling around. Well, of course not. Like the time I I had some trouble with a bottom dealer from Luna City. I didn't fool around. I sent him back to the moon in a cargo rocket. With no air. How interesting. Now, uh, about your problem. I assure you, we, we, we apologize. I mean, apologize. That's great. Ah. Ah. Uh, I just remembered I left a few plates in a bar. I don't go away, doctor. You're in on this, too. No, there wouldn't be room. Not, not for two of us. What are you talking about? Well, in a cargo rocket, especially without air. What? I'm trying to tell you. The council voted against fireworks. No, as a matter of fact, I have a very bad sinus and no air would definitely... What? Oh, sure. We decided anything that could burn down an honest citizen's house was too dangerous. Very civic-minded, that council. But, but, I, I don't understand. I kept my promise. I said I'd help you, and I did. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm terribly embarrassed. We, we were trying to get a collection among the staff to help you pay for your loss, but I'm afraid the total assets of the observatory wouldn't reconstruct your garage. Yeah. But, but, but we, we held a staff meeting, and we decided on a more permanent kind of remembrance. Mr. Harvey, on this photograph, you see this trail? This bright trail? Oh, one of them skyrockets again? I'm sorry, Doc. It won't happen again. No, no, no. This is no skyrocket. It's a comet. It will be quite bright for several months. And we've decided to call it Harvey's Comet. Harvey's Comet? Hey, that's real nice. Harvey's Comet. 
Hey, Doc, you put me on top of the world. Them boys at the Canal Casino boasting about their new sign? But me, I got a comet. Harvey's Comet. Why, every sucker on Mars will see it every night. It's the best advertisement since they wrote seven down across the face of the moon. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're pleased. <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, Doc, I kind of heard about it in advance of one of your boys. You named the Comet after me? Okay. I brought something for you. Here. Uh, what is it? A poker chip for my place. Go ahead, read it. Uh, Harvey's Club. Dr. Morton's Poker Chip. Five thousand. That's dollars, Doc. Don't spend it all in one place. You have just heard X-1, presented by the National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine. Your announcer, Fred Collins. X-1 was an NBC Radio Network production. That's X-1, March 21st, 1956. $1,000 a plate, starring Bob Hastings, along with Carl Swenson, Mandel Kramer, and Ralph Bell, as heard on NBC. Hope you enjoyed that. I'm Carl Amari, your host. Lisa Wolf is on vacation this week. Mike Stark, pinch hitting. We'll be back to Hollywood 360 after these words. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Brought to you by Reader's Digest. Thank you, Adam West, the great Adam West. We were talking Batman trivia a little earlier, Mike. And we are talking about Gilligan's Island trivia. We'll have some of that in our next hour. And um, you're going to try to stump me. Oh, I'm going to stump you. With some Gilligan's Island. I used to love Gilligan's Island. That was a great series. All right, when we come back, we're going to tune into The Whistler, a show called A Woman's Privilege, starring Betty Lou Gerson. And prior to that, we'll tune into a quarter-hour episode of Vic and Sade from 1940, actually from New Year's uh, New Year's Day, December 31st, uh, New Year's Eve, December 31st, 1940. You'll love it, Vic and Sade. Stick around. Mike Stark and I will be right back.